Hello, people of the way. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to Leviticus chapter 9. Leviticus chapter 9. Just continuing where we left off last week. And, you know, I have to say, I have a lot of favorite chapters. But and I keep saying this is my favorite chapter. And this is one of my favorite chapters now. You know, it's it's been up there, but now it's like, boom. It's so incredibly awesome what is happening here. You know, and just when I say awesome, I don't mean like, you know, the what we think of when we say that word, when we hear that word. I just mean awesome. Like what in the world? Who can accomplish such a thing? You know, only the Lord, only the Lord. And there's there's times in life where, you know, you're going to be in the pits. You know, there's times in life when you're going to be on cloud nine. You know, and this is one of those moments where, you know, you read these. We're going to study this this chapter and it's just like, boom, cloud nine. It's so incredibly beautiful. And when I say awesome, I just mean like a soul that's struck with awe at the handiwork of our Lord. And there's, you know, you're going to have those moments in life where you're just like, what? Like, like your mouth is going to be like wide open, just in complete and total awe of our Lord. And that's what's so beautiful here about this particular chapter. And, you know, not that they're, you know, we're going to see that in the entirety of Scripture. Remember, chapter 8, 9, and 10 are, you know, hardcore tuned for leadership. You know, this is, you know, if I were invited to give a teach at a pastor's conference, this is what I would do. I would do chapter 8, 9, 10, probably take a, you know, a content, either condensed condensed version or a longer block of time. But these are hardcore messages for church leadership, pastors, elders, Bible teachers. It's very, very important to understand these things. Not that we fulfill the law, but that we abide in Christ who is the fulfillment of the law. And here in verse 1 in chapter 9, let's look at what happens here. It says, It came to pass on the eighth day. You know, let's pause here for a moment. I know it's early in the chapter, early in the verse, but on the eighth day, a lot of beautiful things happen on the eighth day. It's also, you know, in accordance with the law of circumcision. And I'm not, you know, elevating the law of the circumcision, but in the fulfillment of the law, speaking about you and me today, the born again believer, the one who has the circumcision of heart. That's you. You know, you believe in Jesus Christ, you abide in Jesus Christ, you know, praise be to the Lord, because you are the circumcision. And we're going to hit this hardcore when we get into our uh, uh, the book of uh, um, uh, Romans. Paul writes about this. You know, it's the circumcision of heart. A heart that is set before the Lord, set apart for the things of the Lord and for the purpose of the Lord. The law was given in Genesis seventeen twelve. The law of circumcision, where on the eighth day, this has to happen. It's also the law that Moses almost broke. You know, Moses forgot about this law. But Zipporah knew, his beautiful, beautiful wife knew about it. And the Lord, remember when we started, our, when we were in our study in Exodus, the Lord wanted to kill Moses. And it was Zipporah, his wife, that interceded for him. But the law was given in Genesis 17, 12. It's very interesting because this vessel of 
you know, this conduit by which the Lord was going to give the law to the people, the Ten Commandments. He himself was going to, you know, go forth in obedience to the Lord, having broken the law of the circumcision that was written pre-law, before the law. Genesis 17, 12. You know, it speaks a lot about hypocrisy. You know, and we're going to hit that hard in Romans too. Hypocrisy. You know, and Moses can't be the deliverer, the conduit of giving the law, God's law, having he himself broke the law. You know, praise be to the Lord that he had his inter- intercessor, a shepherd wife. You know, she was the shepherd of, of uh, uh, Jethro's flock. It's so beautiful because, you know, he was going to break the law and Zipporah said, uh-uh, not on my watch. This ain't happening in my home. You know, it's like, wow, you know, it's it's like a little safety net for a home, for a family. You know, sometimes the husband falters, the wife steps in and says, mm-mm, not on my watch. Sometimes the wife falters, the husband says, mm-mm, not on my watch. It's a safety net. And sometimes with children, sometimes kids don't have godly parents. And if you're a youngster listening to this message, it's like, you know what? You're the spearhead of righteousness in your home. I've talked with kids before. Kids who are in Catholic homes. You know, Roman Catholicism, which isn't biblical. If you're a Catholic, I'm not, I don't want to hurt your feelings. But if you're a Catholic, Catholic doctrine, the Vatican Councils, Vatican I, Vatican II, it is unbiblical. Unbiblical. Because in accordance with Vatican II, based on the promises to Abraham, Vatican II says that you know a, a, a Muslim can get to heaven. You know, having not denounced the faith of Islam. But in accordance with Vatican II, a Muslim can get to heaven. But then you read the Bible, and Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the door. That's what the Bible says. So what does that say of the Vatican Council? It says it's wrong. It says it's heretical. Why? Because you lean on the Word of God. And you know what? If you're a Catholic, as I used to be, what do I say? I say, come out of that. Come out of Roman Catholicism, my people. Come out of her, my people. It's very important to understand these things. And it's so cool because, you know, I was talking to this kid one time. He's like, man, you know, he he was a Christian, a born-again believer. And the only one in his home, his mom and dad were Catholics. And he was telling me, how do I submit? You know, they don't even believe the things that I do, that they follow these things that are unbiblical. It's like, you know what? You're the spearhead in your home. You know, respect your parents, you know, their authority over you. But when it comes to doctrine, you know, and so he was talking to me like, you know, do I do this? Do I do this? It's like, okay, you eat a meal, you know, just ask to pray before a meal. And when you pray, you know, pray in the name of Jesus. Be thankful to God. You know, you don't pray to Mary. Do all these. It's like you're a witness in your home. It's like your little uh, where you fish is in your own home. It's not to look down on it like, oh, you know, that's a huge bummer. It's to be hopeful because, wow, praise be to the Lord because you have this, you know, this little soul who's a fisherman in his home. He just happens to be, you know, 10 years old. But who cares? 
Who cares about youth? You know, let no one despise your youth. When you believe in Jesus Christ, you grow in Christ, you mature in Christ. It's, you know, in faith, sometimes a 15-year-old can be more mature than an 80-year-old. And it only applies in the faith. And so, you know, this kid, you know, it's like, wow, he's a witness in his own home. And, you know, maybe down the road, you know, the dad's going to become a Christian, the mom's going to be a Christian. And then, like, you know, it's going to be a, a, a godly home where God is honored, Jesus Christ is honored. So don't, you know, whatever your situation, if you're in a home that's kind of like all kinds of different beliefs, be hopeful. You know, depending on the the severity of things, you know, you're going to have to make some hardcore decisions, some hardcore choices, but be hopeful. And if you're a Catholic listening to these things, I say some things sometimes, you know, hardcore against Catholicism. And I say that as a former Catholic Sometimes hardcore against uh, Islam, against Buddha, against pretty much everybody, you know. And I don't say that facetiously. I say that because what is the Word of God in your life? It's the truth. The Word became flesh. I don't want to present any other doctrine except that of the Word of God. You see, you're going to have to make a choice. And so look what happens here. It came to pass on the eighth day that Moses called Aaron and his sons and the elders of Israel. You know, so what do we have here? We have Moses, Aaron, his sons, and the elders. And you know what's so beautiful? Moses is no longer alone. He's not alone anymore. In the previous chapters, previous verses, even in Exodus, you see, uh, in a lot of ways, Moses is alone. He kind of like the spearhead. Of what God is doing, what God desired to do from from the burning bush. And then all of a sudden, look what happens here. You know, Moses isn't alone. And sometimes big things start with just one. Spiritual revival. And a lot of, a lot of ways, a lot of times, biblically and even, you know, in, in the pages of scripture and even in our own world, in our own cultures... A lot of times it starts with just one. A lot of times it starts with just you. Just you. Remember Philip? We studied it in the, in the book of Acts a couple weeks ago. He was just one guy. And the Lord called him. One guy, an evangelist. Just one. And people became Christians. People believed in Jesus Christ. Multitudes of people. And it started with just one. It started with just one Philip. But then it grew. So Moses isn't alone here. You start to see, wow, you know, what the Lord has accomplished all through, you know, up until this point and what he's going to accomplish. But, you know, for sake of our studies and the chronology of things. Look what happens here in verse 2. And he said to Aaron, take for yourself. Let's pause here for a moment. In the past, Moses was doing a lot of things. You know, Moses did this, Moses did that. And, you know, it's not a bad thing at all. But being the spearhead, you know, the spearhead of what? You know, being used of the Lord and no longer, you know, in the tip of the spear, he's no longer alone by himself. There are more people in the tip of the spear. 
Aaron, what happens here in verse 2. And we're going to see in a couple more verses, his sons. And we don't really see it hardcore here, but we're going to see it in future chapters more uh, prominent is the role of the elder in the camp of Israel. You see, you know, now we see a picture here of Aaron. He's starting his ministry unto God. This is like the very, very beginning of his ministry. This is a, a hardcore message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers, anybody in church leadership, especially pastors, elders, and Bible teachers. A hardcore message. Why do I say that? You know why? Because as Moses was a mold for Aaron and his sons and the elders, so too you can be a mold for the people around you. You say, whoa, what are you talking about? Well, turn with me to Philippians chapter 3, really quick. Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, verse 14. Paul is writing to the church in Philippi. Just so happens in our study in the book of Acts, we know we we, uh, see little references to uh, Philippi in the region of Macedonia. So look what happens here in verse 14. Paul writes to the church. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You know, he says, I press toward the goal. It's, you know, you get that concept of stretching forward. That's how the word translates. You know, when he says, I press toward the goal, it's like stretching forward. You know, I mean, you put that, you, I mean, you try that. I mean, stand up and then you like, you lean forward and you lean forward so much that all of a sudden your feet have to follow. You have to go, or, or else you fall. You know, you're standing firm, and then all of a sudden you press forward, and you're leaning so far forward that finally your left foot has to go forward too. And you're pressing so much forward that your right foot has to go too. And then you're still pressing so forward that your left foot has to go again. And then you're right, and then you're left. That's what Paul, that's the concept that Paul is talking about here. He says, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many are mature, as many are mature. I tell you the truth, Satan doesn't want you to come to a state of maturity. He'll fight. To keep you as a little baby. He'll fight to keep you against believing in Jesus Christ. But then once you do become a believer in Jesus Christ, he'll fight extra hard to keep you a little baby. Because what's the threat of a little baby? And I, I don't want to sound dark in saying this, but you hear me say it every now and then. If I were to tell you, hey, you know, if say I was your boxing coach, and I were to tell you, hey, you know what, we got to train, we're going to fight this 300 pound guy and he's tough and he wants your belt and it's like okay we're gonna train hard because you got to knock this guy out but then what if i tell you oh yeah you know there's another contender instead of this guy there's a different contender and i tell you his stats and it's like it's a little you know two-year-old with little baby boxing gloves it's laughable it's no competition there's no threat there And I don't want to sound dark and saying that like you're going to beat up a kid. 
But that's why I say Satan wants you a baby. Because you're not a threat to him when you're a baby. And that's what he does. He'll go in the churches. He gets, you know, he starts to, you know, appeal to these uh, uh, hireling pastors. Shills. And says, oh yeah, don't teach them the truth of God's word. Teach them this. Candy coat it. Make it seem nice, you know. Appeal to their senses. And so these pastors, instead of being obedient to the Lord, they're obedient to their father, the devil. And so what happens? Truth is muddied. And then you have anemic sheep because they don't have a, a diet of the Word of God, the pure Word of God, the truth of the Word of God. And so you have baby believers. Yeah, they believe, but you know what? Even the demons believe. That's what Brother James writes to us. Even the demons believe, except you know what happens with them? They tremble. Where's the trembling in the house of God? And I'm talking about the fear of the Lord. You see, Satan doesn't want you to be mature. So what do I say? Don't let him have his way with you. Learn to fight. In verse 15, therefore let, let us as many are mature have this mind. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Verse 17 is key. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And this word for pattern, it's a mold. You know, a mold for imitation. You know, like you take cast iron, you know, you're going to make like a little doll or whatever. You take your cast iron, you shape it out. And then, you know, you pour your plastics into it. You pour whatever, I don't know, plastics, whatever you use. You know, you make candles, you, you have your mold for the candle. And what Paul is saying is, be a mold. You know, you have these, he says, you have us as a pattern. It's to be that mold for imitation. You know, and Paul is saying, hey, you know, you have us as an example. That's why I say in our study in Leviticus in, in chapter 9, you know, a hardcore message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers. Because you can be a mold too. You need to be a mold in these last days. You know, when he says in verse 17, join in following my example is to take aim, you know, and note it's to mark those people. Take aim and mark those people. You know, like, say for example, we're sitting in, a, in an arena, you know, and there's this, you know, high school basketball team. And we're watching a high school basketball team. And say we're scouts for university of whatever. And we're scouts. Duke University, and we want to keep our title. We're going to, you know, gun for the title this year. All well, next year, you know, because coronavirus. And say we're, we're gunning for the, for the trophy. We got to get that. We're going to be number one. So we go to these high school games. You know, we go to these lower level collegiate games. So it's who are we going to recruit? Who are we going to give a full scholarship to? And so you mark those, okay. This guy, yeah, he passes okay. and He's not a good jump shot, you know. Whatever, this guy's stats are low. 
But then there's this one. We see this one guy there. And man, he's like this ballet on the court. He just, wow. He just weaves in and out. He passes. He's not selfish. He can shoot. He can assist. He can facilitate. He's a point guard here. He can defend. It's like, wow, who is this guy? You know, let's build a team around this guy. You know, and who can we get for supporting players? Because we want to be number one. That's what Paul is writing here. He says, note those who so walk. You know, be that sports recruiter. You know, you're the scout. And you're looking for who is the guy? Who is the lady? Who is the young person? Who's the kid? And I say all these people, men, women, young people, because it's God's righteousness in you. Who is the one that is yielding to the word of God? Who is the one that is obedient to the word of God? You know, we're going to have the ups and downs in life, but who is the one where I can see the fruit of the spirit in his or her life, young or old, it doesn't matter. It's like, wow, you know what? I want to be like that guy. I want to have faith like that lady. I want to be a prayer warrior like this guy, like this lady. This, Paul is saying, you have us for examples is what he says. So if you're ever reading scripture and you're like, wow, I want to be like Paul. Praise be to the Lord. You're fulfilling scripture. In a good way, you know. Don't fulfill scripture in a bad way. That's not good. Fulfill scripture in a good way. And Paul says, follow me as I follow Christ or imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's a hardcore statement. Speaks a lot about Paul's selflessness. And that's what Paul is saying. You know what? Mark those people. And so in Leviticus 9, it's like, you know what? When I say pastors, elders, Bible teachers, be that pattern. Be that mold for imitation. For men, for women. Be that mold. You know, it's godly. It's building up citizens for God's kingdom. That's what you're doing. Oh, pastor. That's what you're doing. Oh, elder. That's what you're doing. Oh, Bible teacher. That's what the Lord desires to do in your life. So when I say like for pastors, you know, and if you're not a pastor, if you're not a Bible teacher, if you're not an elder, you're like, man, you know, I guess I'm not going to listen to this because it's not for me. No, it's for you because you know why? Never in my life did I ever think I was going to be a pastor. Never. In fact, you know, at one point in my life, I didn't even want it. I was like, no way. I fought with the Lord. I don't want to do this. And then, you know, in the course of time, a couple years it's like, wow, okay, Lord, if this is from you, then I'll do it. But you got to show me. And he did. He revealed it. One day I'll tell you the story of it. You know, the account of the, the events. But I just like teaching the word. You know, let's highlight the Lord. Let's highlight Jesus Christ. So if somebody ever asks me, you know, I'll tell you. But when you go through the studies, it's like, wow, let's, let's highlight the Lord. Jesus Christ in your life. 
And so Paul is saying here in verse 17, you know, join in following my example and know those who so walk or aim and take mark who so walk. They're not hypocrites as you have us as a pattern for many walk of whom I have told you often. This is a little warning he gives many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping. You see his heart that they're enemies of the cross of Christ whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. You see how beautiful Paul is here when he's saying these things? Hey, he, like you guys don't belong here. We're citizens of heaven. You know, don't listen to these guys who's, you know, they're enemies of the cross. He says in verse 21, who will transform our, speaking about Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. You see, so maturing in Christ, sometimes depending on your station in life, it might be difficult. You know, maturity requires sacrifice. But it's beautiful in the eyes of the Lord. You say, what do you mean maturity requires sacrifice? Well, there used to be a store when I was growing up. You might have heard of it. It was called Toys R Us. I think they filed bankruptcy and went out of business. But they were popular when I was a kid. You know, and they had the song, I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. You know, and these kids, it's like they're in the song. I don't want to grow up. I'm a Toys R Us kid. Toys, all the toys. And sometimes Christians have that mentality. I don't want to grow up. You know, I want to be a worldly kid. A worldly baby. I don't want to grow up. Well, growing up requires sacrifice. You're going to have to take off your diapers one day. You're going to have to put down the baby bottle one day. You know, and you progress. You know, you take off the diapers. You have your little pull-ups. And then you take off the pull-ups, you know, and you get dressed like a normal, you know, like an adult You move forward towards maturity in Christ. You press forward towards maturity in Christ. And when you're fully mature in Christ, it's like you're going to be dead. You're going to be dead. But, you know, as you mature, it's like, wow, I wonder if the Holy Spirit in the Lord is just saying like, wow, I want to use that guy as a mold. I want to use that lady as a mold. I want to use that kid as a mold. And then here, I'm going to send them to Macedonia. Just like we see in the book of Acts. You see? Let's go back to Leviticus 9 now. In Leviticus 9, you know, you see Moses himself as a mold. Because now he's giving instructions to to Aaron of what to do. And so he says in verse 2, And he said to Aaron, Take for yourself a young bull as a sin offering and a ram as a burnt offering without blemish and offer them before the Lord. And to the children of Israel, you shall speak. You see how beautiful this is when I say Aaron is starting his ministry now? Because now it's Aaron's time to speak. Remember a couple chapters ago in the book of Exodus, Remember, there's a golden calf. Now look. 
And I don't mean to look at the past and say like, wow, look at Aaron. How dare he? How could he ever do these things? I mean, even Moses, you know, called Aaron out. When we, if you remember our study in Exodus, when Moses, you know, confronted Aaron, like, how could you do these things? How could you bring this sin upon Israel? You brought this sin upon the people. You know, did they put a gun to your head, Aaron? Did they force you to do this? But look at what you brought upon Israel. Speaks a lot about pastoral accountability. Accountability among the leadership. Pastors, elders, and Bible teachers. That's why we're told, let not many of you, let not many of you be teachers. Because when you're a teacher of the Word of God, you're held to a very high account. Very, very high account. Your judgment is going to be more strict when you stand before the Lord. I don't say that to freak you out. Because that concept alone is it's freaky. It's scary. But the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. You know, so many people today don't even have the fear of the Lord, let alone the knowledge of the Lord. But they don't have the fear of the Lord. I like to think of, I don't question people's love of the Lord. You know, sometimes I do. In the house of God, among Christendom. But you know what's such a trip is that it's like, okay, I like to think of the love in the Lord and the fear of the Lord as working together. The same way you sit in your car in the driver's seat, you have your hand on the steering wheel. And what do you have at your feet? You have the gas pedal, you have the brake pedal. The gas pedal is like your love for the Lord, and your brake pedal is like the fear of the Lord. It's like, well, I love you, Lord. You hit the gas pedal. The Lord says, okay, go here. You hit the gas pedal. Turn here. You turn. But then all of a sudden, you see something. Oh, I'm hungry. I got a rumbly in my tumbly. I see the golden arches there, the McDonald's, and I'm going to go to McDonald's. And, you know, it's like, wow, I'm going to hit the gas pedal, and I'm going to turn left into this McDonald's. But no, you slam the brakes and you say, no, I want to be obedient to the Lord. So I'm going to skip McDonald's. So many people don't have the brakes. So many people don't have the fear of the Lord. It's to say, wow, hey, don't do that. Why? Because the word says don't do that. A lot of pastors, a lot of Bible teachers get into a lot of trouble. Because they say, oh, yeah, I'm a teacher. I'm a, I do these things, but you know what? I, I teach the Bible, but then I'm going to go get some crack tonight. You know, I teach the Bible, but you know what? I'm going to go to the strip club tonight. No way. No way. You don't have breaks, my friend. You need the fear of the Lord. If that's you and you're in a teaching capacity, you need to step down. You need to repent. You need to step down. If you're a pastor listening to my words, you're like, well, that's hardcore. Well, it's safety for your soul when you're standing before the Lord. You need to step down. Get yourself right with the Lord. You know, and whether you come back into a position, whether you're restored into position, I don't know. Talk to your elders if they're godly. Maybe you have to step down from pastoral leadership. For the sake of your soul and for the sake of the souls of the, sh- of the sheep and the lambs. And so we're going to talk about that more in our study here. So let's look at what happens here. He says in verse 3, <clears throat> this is Moses giving instruction to Aaron. And he tells to Aaron, And to the children of Israel you shall speak, saying, 
you know, if, if you remember, like in 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 um, uh, in verse two, it was applicable of Aaron's offering. You know, so he himself could be right with the Lord. But then in verse three, he starts to give him directions about you know what to tell the people for their offering and for them to be right with the Lord. You know, corporately as a body. See, no hypocrisy. If you're a pastor, elder, Bible teacher, you need to apply the Word of God in your life first. Before you can teach, you need to apply the Word of God in your life. Think of yourself as a cup, you know? If you're full of self, well, you know what? Don't teach. And you're empty of self, it's like the Holy Spirit pours new wine inside of you. And your new wineskin, not your old wineskin. You have to reckon the old man dead, the old woman dead. That guy, that woman is dead. You know, it's like whatever your past is, sex, drugs, rock and roll, that guy's dead. That woman's dead. And then all of a sudden the Holy Spirit pours new wine and a new wineskin and you're full, 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 full. And you think like, okay, I'm done. I'm so full. I can't contain more. It's like, no, the Holy Spirit keeps pouring. And then this new wine pours out of you. That's ministry. The new wine that pours out of you. Why do I say it's ministry? Because you're not a hypocrite. You're full of new wine. And the new wine is being poured out of you for others to taste and see that God is good. Not that you are good. That God is good. Because it's new wine. And then it pours into their uh, their, their new wineskins. You know, if they're old wineskins, that's between them and God. They need to repent and come to Jesus Christ and abide in Christ. It's very important to understand these concepts because I'll tell you what happens. And I don't even have to tell you. We see this. A lot of people, young people, they start thinking, okay, what am I going to do for a living? Should I be a doctor? Should I be a lawyer? Should I, you know, flip burgers? Should I do whatever? I don't want, you know. I want to do good in my community. So I think I'm going to be a pastor. That's wrong. That's wrong. Because the Lord will call you into pastoral ministry. If that, you know, the Lord speaks loud and clear. Sometimes people have so much noise in their life where their ears, they're not circumcised to the Lord. They're on a completely different frequency. You know, like Jesus Christ says, having ears, they do not hear. It's like, you know, someone who's physically and able of, capable of hearing, but they're deaf to the things of the Spirit. That's carnality. You know who was like that? The, the religious establishment of Jesus' day. The priests, the elders, the scribes, the Sadducees. We're at the very beginning of, you know, the Levitical priesthood. And it's beautiful. In accordance to the law. I'm not advocating the law, but in accordance to the law, it's like, whoa, look what's happening here. But this is a hardcore message for pastors. Elders, Bible teachers, do not be a hypocrite. And there's going to be times in your life where it's like, wow, you know, this is kind of hypocritical of me to behave like this. This is kind of hypocritical of me to say these things. It's going to happen because we're in these earth suits. But let it happen less and less and less and less and less. And don't be a hypocrite. Because you know what happens? Then you can take the two by four that's out of your own eyes. 
and you're able to help another brother, another sister with the speck that's in their eyes. A lot of damage has happened inside the church in the name of hypocrisy. A lot of damage. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to people. I tell them about Jesus Christ and they're like, no way. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to believe in Jesus Christ because... And then they tell me about a man. They tell me about a woman. They tell me about ministry leaders. Oh yeah, I used to believe in Jesus Christ. I used to love going to church. But then this guy, but then this lady, a lot of it has to deal with sex. A lot of it has to deal with drugs. A lot of it has to deal with alcohol. That's why you hear me say sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I don't rock and roll. I mean, that's not, you know, in the Bible, but I meant like, you know, that whole lifestyle. Sex, drugs, alcohol, you know, party it up. These are pastors. Remember Ezekiel when the Lord was calling Ezekiel? Ezekiel, you know, it happened with Isaiah. It happened with Jeremiah. But Ezekiel, he was talking to the Lord and he's like, Lord, you know, use these elders. You're calling me. But, you know, look at all these guys you have, you know. Let's just skip over me and let's use these guys, you know. And the Lord picked him up, you know, like, okay, let me show you this. He picked him up. And it is all in the spirit. And you read the account in Ezekiel, in the book of Ezekiel. But then you get to chapter 8 in Ezekiel 8. And the Lord is saying, okay, put your finger in this wall. And so Ezekiel, in obedience, you know, in 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 in, in the spirit, you know, he's having, the Lord is showing them these things in a vision. And so Ezekiel pokes a finger and the Lord says, okay, now look. And he looks and what does he see? The so-called holy people. The people who he thought were, you know, when Ezekiel was like, you know, let's skip over me, Lord, let's use these guys. And the Lord was like, okay, I'll show you these guys. And he says, okay, look in this hole. And then he looks and he sees all kinds of wickedness. Worshipping of the sun. Hypocrites. The Lord was showing Ezekiel their hypocrisy of people he thought was, of, of people that Ezekiel thought were so-called holy men. And then you see the first account and then the Lord says, okay, you know, follow me. I'm going to show you worse things than this. And it gets amped up, you know, idolatry, sexual things, all kinds of different orgies by the so-called holy men. The Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. You know what? I tell you the truth. It's very difficult to have these conversations with people sometimes. When you tell somebody about Jesus Christ, you tell them about the kingdom of heaven, and they tell you, look, you know what? I don't want anything to do with Jesus Christ because of this guy. And they say the works of this guy, the works of the flesh of this particular man, so-called man. And to tell this person, you know, these are difficult conversations because a lot is revealed, a lot of works of the flesh. But to tell that person, do you know what? Your heart is in line with the Lord. Your heart is in line with God. Because as much as you hate hypocrisy, so does the Lord. The Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. What you saw, what you experienced by this so-called man, that was an imposter. That was a faker. That was a hypocrite. 
You know, you can have issue with him the same way I have issue with him. But never take issue with Jesus Christ. God loves you. Don't take issue with Jesus Christ. Don't take it out on Jesus Christ. Because he died for you, my friend. Because God loves you in obedience to the Father. You see, the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. Old Testament and New Testament, the Lord doesn't like hypocrisy. So what does that say to Christians? Don't be a hypocrite. And, you know, it's going to hit. At some point, it's going to hit. I told you, know, I've told you before, my biggest issue is anger. And so a lot of times when I'm angry, I just keep my mouth shut. I can't speak. I've learned the hard way, patience. So when I'm really angry, a lot of times I'm really quiet. So it's like, wow, this guy's quiet a lot. Well, I'm also angry a lot. <laughs> so it's like, wow, you know, because I can't speak in anger. Because it's like, these are things that it's like that, that little, uh, uh, you know, that little box, that little, you know, chained up box inside my heart. It starts to shake. You know, if I start to speak in anger starts to shake and the lid opens up a little bit. No, I got to keep that Pandora's box closed and sealed. And you know what? Every single one of us have, has these Pandora's boxes. You know, and the Lord teaches us more and more and more. You know, he'll kill it in the spirit. He'll kill it. But sometimes it takes a really, really long time. And you know, instead of killing it, sometimes you have to learn to deal with it. Because in learning to deal with it, you also learn the weapons of warfare, spiritual warfare. You also learn how to use the sword. You also learn how to use these, you know, other weapons of our warfare. You learn tactics, how to fight. So sometimes like Paul, he says, I'll take this thorn from my side, Lord. And the Lord was like, no, I'll take this and this, but I'm not taking that. I put that thorn there and you know what? It keeps you on your knees before me. Because my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. So sometimes, you know, you can plead with the Lord. Lord, take this from me. Take this from me. Take this from me. But if it's something that's always keeping you on your knees before the Lord. It's like, wow, you know, praise be to the Lord for those thorns. And I'm not speaking about wicked. I'm not talking about, you know, let's do crack, you know. And it's like, wow, crack is a thorn in my side. No, crack is what the enemy is using to, to pull you away from Jesus Christ. You know, get rid of the crack. Take that crack and throw it in the trash. Whatever it might be, pornography, sexual things. I'm not saying pornography is a thorn in your side. You have to get rid of that stuff. Cold turkey. Especially, you know, not to suggest that there's any time where it was permissible. But in the last days, wow, it's treacherous times. Perilous, perilous times, just as the scripture reveals to us. So let's look and see, and we'll go back here in verse 3. And to the children of Israel, you shall speak, saying, Take a kid of the goats as a sin offering, and a calf and a lamb, both of the first year without blemish, as a burnt offering. So as we see these things, like in verse 3, the sin offering, and at the end of verse 3, the burnt offering, these are things that we've studied in the previous chapters of Leviticus. As new covenant believers, 
we specifically looked and saw like, wow, you know how this is fulfilled in Jesus Christ? What are new covenant examples of the fulfillment of this concept of things that we learn from the law? Because as Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of the law, His work in your life also fulfills the law when your life is a burnt offering unto Him. He Himself is a burnt offering. He Himself was and is the sin offering. But what is your life? Your life can never be a sin offering. Only the life of Jesus Christ. The life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He's the only sin offering. But what about the soul that offers himself, that offers herself as the burnt offering? A sweet aroma unto the Lord in worship unto him. We read about these beautiful men and women in the book of Acts. Philip, Lydia, Paul, Timothy. Timothy's grandma, Timothy's mom, Eunice and Lois. You see all these beautiful people. It's like, wow, you know, their lives as burnt offerings, a sweet aroma unto the Lord. And so look what happens here in verse 4. Also, a bull and a ram as peace offerings to sacrifice before the Lord and a grain offering mixed with oil. For today, the Lord will appear to you. You see how beautiful this is? Moses is giving instruction on what to do. This is instruction that he himself received from the Lord. And you see a picture of the obedience of Moses. But you also see a picture of obedience being contagious. Obedience can be contagious. You know, because people around you, like, wow, I want that too. They look at their home. They look at your home. They're like, man, my home's a mess. You know, I got all this crack. I got all these things of the occult. You know, my wife, my husband, you know, he's a crackhead. She's a crackhead. My kids are in doing their Ouija boards. They're all in the occult. You know, me, I'm tossed to and fro by all kinds of various doctrine. And then they have a little interaction with you. And they're like, wow. There's something about this person. What is it that he has? What is it that she has? You know what that is? You're the salt. And you tell them, you know, it's not like, oh, look how awesome I am. You don't tell them that. You tell them, you know what? It's Jesus Christ in my life. I just choose to obey his word. So in your house where there's crack and Satanism and, you know, you're tossed to and fro and things of the occult and all this demon stuff in your home, look at your home. You know, God doesn't want that. Is that a good thing? And then all of a sudden, you're the salt, and then you tell them, you know what, it's Jesus Christ. It's not the work of my hands. You know, let me tell you the work of my hands, and you can tell them how you were before your Jesus Christ experience, before your Damascus Road experience. Tell them what your life was like before the Lord. You know, not to show off and be like, oh, yeah, you think you're bad? Look at what I did. I did this. It was much worse. It's, which happens a lot when testimonies are shared. Don't do that. That's pride. You know, tell them, you know what? You're a crackhead. You know what? The Lord rescued me from crack. You know, you've had, you know, all kinds of sex. Ah, the Lord rescued me from that. You know, you're, you had, you know, all these drinks of alcohol. 
You used to drink this and that and mix drinks and do all kinds of stuff. Look at what I used to do. Not to compare and show off and be like, wow, look how evil I was. To say, no, you know what? My face was in the toilet too. You know, I used to sleep in park benches because I couldn't even drive. Or I used to drive drunk all the time. And it was a dumb lifestyle. And it was the Lord Jesus Christ that pulled me out of that. So you look at my life now. This is you in giving testimony. You think this life is good? You look at my home. You look at my marriage. You look at my kids. You look at all these things. And you think this life is good? It's the Lord. Don't take any credit. Don't glorify yourself. It's the work of the Lord. And the Lord wants this work to do this work in your life, in your marriage with your kids. You see? You're the salt. Don't, lose, don't let the salt lose its flavor in your life. Don't let the salt be trampled underfoot by men in your life. It's happening culturally. We see it. It's all around us. It's already happened culturally. You know, there's, there's no turning back. People are going to think, wow, we're going back to how it used to be. But you know what? That's a false piece of the Antichrist. It's deception, spiritual deception. We're living in very evil days. Very, very incredibly evil, evil, evil days. Demonic days, satanic days. And people are yearning to just go back to normal, to go back to how things used to be. And when somebody comes on the world scene and gives the people what they want, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a false peace. A false messiah. You know, and if you espouse these things in the last days, you'll, you'll be hated for sure. 100% you'll be hated. To the point where people want to kill you. But praise be to the Lord. You know why? Because these things must come to pass. They must come to pass. And I say this as a last day's church. And so look what happens here in verse um, 4. At the end it says, For today the Lord will appear to you. And this is what Moses is giving instruction to say, Aaron, you say these things to the people. And so now look what happens here in verse 5. So they brought what, what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting. You see the, what do I call it? You see the, the hierarchy of obedience here. And I don't say this as like, maybe I should see, you see the flow of righteousness. Maybe not the hierarchy, but the flow of righteousness. You know, from God to Moses, from Moses to Aaron, from Aaron to the son, to his sons, and then the elders, and then from them to the people. This is the establishment of the Levitical priesthood, what we're seeing here. Hardcore message for church leadership. Hardcore message. It's very, very important when you teach the Bible to stick to the Bible. Don't be a hypocrite. Apply the word of God in your life and then let it pour out of every pore of your body because you're so full of new wine in new wineskin that let it just pour out from you for all the world to taste and see. 
That God is good. Not that you are good. That God is good. Let them taste and see the handiwork of Jesus Christ in your life. And so look what happens here. In verse 5. <clears throat> and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Now, if we didn't have a history of events, like say, for example, we don't know anything about the Lord. And we read this verse. And we read verse 5. We know nothing about the Lord. And we read verse 5. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. If there's no history, no knowledge of history, it begged the question, would perhaps even wonder and question, why in the world are these people following this guy? Why in the world are these people of Israel following this guy named Moses? Why are they even listening to him? And you know what's so beautiful about having the full counsel of the Word of God is we see the history. We see it all. We see how, you know, what happened with Egypt. In Egypt, what happened while Israel was in Egypt, when the Lord was forgotten. You know, Israel was in Egypt, and in Egypt was safety for them. Don't forget that. You read about Joseph at the end of Genesis. Egypt was very safe for Israel. In fact, it was all by the Lord. But then what happens when the Lord became forgotten? You know, another Pharaoh, another generation. You know, who's this Joseph guy? What is this Joseph guy? Oh, yeah, you know, I heard about him in the history books. But you know what? Those are fairy tales. It's not real. Oh, what are the, the, these people amongst us? Who are they? You know, they, they, they're growing powerful. Let's put them into slavery. And even among Israel, you're like, oh, yeah, that's, if God is real, then why does he allow us to live like this? Why does he allow us to be slaves? No, that God was forgotten. In Egypt. And who was in Egypt? Egyptians and Israel. God was forgotten. You see? And what do we see? Every time you see a generation that is judged by the Lord, Old Testament, you have a generation of people that has forgotten the Lord. I specifically say Old Testament because we're in the age of the New Covenant and judgment is coming. God's judgment is coming. The more you see this generation that we live in today forget the Lord, Forget Jesus Christ. His judgment is just, it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter. And it's going to be worse than Sodom and Gomorrah. Woe to you, Chorazin, is what Jesus Christ says. Woe to you, Bethsaida. Remember, we studied this. And people get on my case all the time. Oh, you're always talking about the last days. You're always talking about God's judgment. You know, maybe that's indicative of the nearness of it. I mean, think of the Grand Canyon. 
And if I were to tell you, oh, be careful, you might fall in the in in, in, in the Grand Canyon. You're, like, well, you're crazy. That's like, you know, very very far away. But then you know, we travel a hundred miles towards it. Oh, man, you hear me say, be careful of the Grand Canyon. You might slip and fall and hurt yourself, maybe even die. You'd still think I'm crazy. But what if we were 100 yards away from the very cliff of the Grand Canyon? I say, be careful, don't fall. You might say, okay, you're crazy, but my warning is warranted. What if we're five feet away from the cliff? And I say, be careful. I'm yelling at you, be careful. My warning is definitely warranted. And what if you're standing five inches away from the cliff? And I'm shouting, be careful. Practically scrambling to grab you. But I'm limited because I can't make those decisions for you. You have to make the decision for you. So, you know, people get on my case all the time. You're always talking about the last days. You're always talking about this. Well, maybe instead of being, you know, 100 miles away from the Grand Canyon, maybe we're, you know, five meters away from the Grand Canyon. Maybe we're five inches away from the Grand Canyon. It's, I don't say it, you know, for the heck of it. It's warranted for these days. And people say that all the time. Oh, I don't listen to this guy. He's too, you know, uh, doom and gloom. There are pastors who say, oh yeah, we don't follow eschatology. It's too, too much doom and gloom. Rick Warren is such a person, which I don't even call him a Christian. I call him a wolf. You know, the author of The Purpose Driven Life, what I call The Purpose Driven Lie, who has his uh, uh, peace plan. He also has a diet program. But you read his teachings, you listen to his teachings, which I don't advocate, but you know, to understand what I'm saying. He says, you know, don't follow these last day's teachers. They're fear mongers. Mark Driscoll is another such person who, you know, was kicked out of the Seattle area. All these people is to say like, wow, you know, I'm not a fear monger. But it's a fearful thing to stand before the living God. It's a fearful thing to stand in the hands of the living God. I don't want that to happen to you. So what do I say? Repent and believe in Jesus Christ. Be born again. If you are born again, praise be to the Lord. Abide in Christ. Because these are wicked days that we're living in. Very, very wicked days that we're living in. And a lot of blind people, a lot of deaf people. And so look what happens here in verse... Uh, five. So they brought what Moses commanded before the tabernacle of meeting, and all the congregation drew near and stood before the Lord. Then Moses said, 
This is the thing which the Lord commanded you to do, and the glory of the Lord will appear to you. So Moses still has a role in the congregation, and we're not done. I mean, we're going to get into Deuteronomy and, you know, and Numbers, and we're going to see all these things. But Moses still has a role in ministry, a leadership role. But you know what's so beautiful is that he's not alone. He's not alone. In verse 7, And Moses said to Aaron, Go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering, and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them. Make them a covering. Remember? A covering. We talked about that in our previous studies in Leviticus. Make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. That's God's desire for the people. For them to be right with Him. You know, how is this achieved? He gives instructions. In accordance with the law, this is how it's achieved. These offerings, these sacrifices. This is how being right before the Lord is achieved in accordance with the law. In accordance with the New Testament as New Covenant believers, how is it achieved? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, 100%. It's a hardcore message for pastors. A lot of pastors desire big churches. I don't know why. You know, I don't, you know, I, I know why carnally, but pastors knowing the word of God, that's an even heavier account that you're going to give before the Lord. You know? The Lord desires His people to be right with Him. Don't be concerned about numbers in your church. If you're a pastor, don't be concerned about numbers in your church. You know, don't have the, the you know, the Joneses, keep it up with the Joneses concept. Where, you know, pastor down the street has, you know, a thousand members in his church. Or this other pastor down the street has, you know, 500 members in her church. I say that on purpose. Don't follow the, don't be like, don't follow the Joneses. You know, you teach, you be obedient to the Lord and teach the word. And you know what? He will provide. Some people might leave. Some people might come. I think it's so cool because in California, our pastor in California you know, there there was uh, there were times when he was sick, and you know he would he would have the the co-pastor would teach, and the co-pastor was a, a beautiful beautiful teacher, and then you know like people would tell him all the time, oh you're a good teacher, why don't you start your own church, and he would just say no 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 I'm not gonna start my own church, and he would tell people no no every time the pastor was sick the the, the, the pastor was sick you know the co-pastor would give a message. And people would tell him, oh, start your own church, start your own church. And finally, he just was like at wit's end. The pastor was there, but then the, he says, oh, yeah, this co-pastor, he wants to make an announcement. And the co-pastor came up, you know, the head pastor stood to the side. And the co-pastor would speak. And he said, you know what? I, I love everybody, but I'm going to tell you something. He said straight up, this is the co-pastor speaking, and the pastor is right next to him, and the co-pastor is saying, you know what? 
People tell me all the time that I'm a good teacher. People tell me that I should start another church. And he just straight up said, the Lord wants me under this man as pastor. And I could see our pastor. He was like crying. The Lord specifically wants me under this pastor. And I think it's so beautiful because, you know, people always talk, you know, there's this concept, you know, it's called the Moses model. They say like, oh yeah, we shouldn't, the church shouldn't follow the Moses model. The church shouldn't follow the Moses model. But when you read the Bible, you don't see the Moses model isn't like, you know, one guy. Look at the people around him. Look at Aaron. Look at his son, Aaron's sons. Look at the elders. And we're going to see this more and more. A lot of times people speak about the so-called Moses model. And they say, oh yeah, we don't follow the Moses model. We follow what the New Testament teaches about a council of elders. Which is biblical. But as we keep in mind, we're at the early stages here. The Moses model includes the other priests, includes elders. My question today, where are the elders? That's what I want to know. You know, you hear me talk about these, you know, wayward pastors. Who in the world are their elders? That's what I want to know. These, who are their co-pastors? Who is their circle of guys around them? What about the wives? Who are, you know, submitting hardcore to their husband? What do I say? If you're a wife and submitting hardcore to your husband, I'll tell you a better way. Submit hardcore to Jesus Christ. And when your husband goes off into crazy town, be like Zipporah. Mm-mm, not on my watch. Zipporah strip. You know what? Moses, you're breaking the law. Husband, you're breaking the law of God. So she takes her sons, picks up this sharp stone, and, you know, circumcises her sons. Takes the foreskins and throws them at Moses' feet. Beautiful, beautiful woman of the Lord. So you see these wayward pastors today. I want to know where are the co pastors, where are the elders, and where are their wives? You see, all these safety nets that the Lord provides. A wife talking to her husband pastor. A wife talking to her husband elder. A wife talking to, you know, her her husband ministry leader. Who can be like a Zipporah. But instead she's a slave in her own home. You see, these men get away with wickedness. Don't let your husband, if you're a woman listening, don't let your husband get away with that. You know, call him on it. Hey, why are you watching this dumb program? Turn it off. I mean, there's times when I'm watching sports. I was was watching this sports show one time. It was a basketball game. Back when basketball was live. You know, I was watching this basketball game. And Kevin Durant, he had a killer game. This was back when Kevin Durant wasn't injured. Kevin Durant, he had a killer game. And I wanted to hear the interview afterwards. And then, you know, I'm watching the interview, listening to Kevin Durant. And I was like, wow, you know, just his strategy behind the game. And, you know, how he did certain things in first quarter, second quarter, third quarter, fourth quarter. 
and way in the background, you know, there's you could see like these cheerleaders. They were dancing in the background, like tiny, tiny, tiny. My wife walks in the room, you know, turn that off. She picks up the remote, changes the channel. And I was like, whoa, what do you, you know? But I love her even more. You know, little things like that. It's like, wow, it's so cool. She's like a Zipporah. You know, for husbands, you know, think of your wife like a, when your wife is like that, think of her like a Zipporah. It's a safety net for you. But a lot of husbands say, wife, you submit to me. Wife, you submit to me. You do this. You do this. Well, you know what's better? Say, wife, submit to Jesus Christ. You yourself as a husband can learn submission by what the Lord is showing you through your wife. Not submission to her. Submission to Jesus Christ. Do you remember when the Lord, you know, when Abraham listened to his wife? And the Lord says, hey, that's not good. You know, when uh, the Abraham, Sarah had this idea and Abraham was like, okay, yeah, let's do it. And the Lord was like, hey, don't listen to your wife. It's like, okay, you're sending me mixed signals. What do I do? Do I listen to my wife or don't, don't, don't listen to my wife? Well, you yourself as a husband submit to Jesus Christ. And, you know, you might have a wife where it's like, you know, she's crazy. You know, don't submit to her. Never submit to your wife. You know, but you submit to Jesus Christ. And because you're close to Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ will say, okay, you know what? I put that on her heart or your wife is crazy. You know, sometimes you marry a crazy woman. You know, praise be to the Lord because, you know, it's to humble, humble you. <laughs> There's a lot of crazy people out there, husbands and wives. A lot of crazy, a lot of crazy to go around. You know, even in the kids, a lot of crazy kids. Why? Because they're tossed to and fro. They're chasing after these fairy tales. Chasing after the New York Times bestseller. Not following the word of God. And where is the word of God? Where do you, you know, the word of God, where do you find it in somebody's life? Where's the fruit? Where are the molds? Where are the patterns to follow? Where's the green grass? Where's the still water? You see? Very deep. You need to apply the word of God in your life. All Christians, apply the word of God in your life. If you're a non-believer listening to this, I say repent. Receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Be born again. You know why? Because God loves you. And His judgment is coming. It is coming. As surely as He lives, God's judgment is coming. And it's not going to be pretty. It's not going to be pretty. I'm saying get in the boat. Get in the ark. Come to Jesus Christ. And so look what happens here in verse... Seven, <clears throat> and Moses said to Aaron, go to the altar, offer your sin offering and your burnt offering and make atonement for yourself and for the people. Offer the offering of the people and make atonement for them as the Lord commanded. You see, the Lord wants people right before him, Old Testament and New Testament. Verse eight, Aaron, therefore, went to the altar and killed the calf of the sin offering, which was for himself. Then the sons of Aaron, notice, Moses isn't alone. Aaron isn't alone. 
the sons of Aaron, brought the blood to him, and he dipped his finger in the blood and it put and, and put it on the horns of the altar and poured the blood of the at the base of the altar. But the fat, the kidneys, and the fatty lobe from the liver of the sin offering he burned on the altar, as the Lord had commanded Moses. The flesh and the hide he burned <clears throat> burned with fire outside the camp. And he, speaking about Aaron, and he killed the burnt offering, and Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around on the altar. So you see, it's so beautiful to see this. You see Aaron, you see his sons, and just like we studied last week, they're wearing their robes now. They're wearing, you know, the priestly garments. It's so beautiful to see these things. In verse 13, Then they presented the burnt offering to him with its pieces and head, and he burned them on the altar. And he washed the entrails and the legs and burned them with the burnt offering on the altar. Then he, speaking about Aaron, then he brought the people's offering and took the goat, which was the sin offering of, for the people, and killed it and offered it for sin like the first one. And he brought the burnt offering and offered it according to the prescribed manner. You know how this translates? It's to the, the legal ordinance. I don't like prescribed manner. You know how this translates in the New King James Version? I don't like how it says prescribed manner. It's more like the, the legal ordinance. Because to me, I, the reason why is because prescribed, it kind of leans more towards a suggestion. You know, like if a doctor says, I'm going to give you a prescription, like the prescribed method, the prescribed, you know, medicine. I'm going to give you a prescription because, you know, you have a choice. Once the doctor gives you that ticket, the prescription, you have a choice to go to the pharmacy or not. And when you do go to the pharmacy, you have a choice to take the prescription or not. You know, not to suggest that you have a, that these priests can either obey the law or not, but it kind of puts hardcore when you, you know, you follow the Hebrew translation of like, you know, it's a legal ordinance to say, hey, you know, this isn't my law. This isn't a suggestion. This is what the Lord wants. This is what the Lord. One time, you know, I cut my finger pretty bad several years ago and there was so much pain. It hurt really bad. You know, and you look at it, it's like, okay, maybe, you know, I was in pain, you know, but, you know, it. I felt like my whole hand was blown off, but like I was in pain. And so I don't like taking drugs, you know, pain medication or whatever, but it was so unbearable. And I called my doctor and I said, doc, you know, I, I need something for this pain. So he gave me a prescription for oxycodone. And so I went to the pharmacy, got my drugs, you know, and I came home. I took it, but something happened to me. I took one. I think I took two pills. I took one pill and it's like the pain was gone, but I could feel my brain. I was like turning stupid because, you know, I think, you know, the, the, I mean, we all think, but I'm at my, my cognitive abilities, you know, my aptitude for certain things has to be, you know, relatively on point. You know, sometimes mistakes are made, but, you know, has to be on point professionally speaking for my job, what I do. Not that, you know, there's other jobs where it doesn't have to be, but, you know, certain ramifications of, it just has to be on point. But I could feel myself in the strategizing and thinking. I couldn't make connections. It was like, you know, my neurons weren't connecting properly. I could feel it. And then I was like still in pain. So I took the second one, you know, 
not immediately, but, you know, after the prescribed, you know, time period. So I took the other one and then I was sold. Then I was like, okay, I am turning stupid. I could feel it. I was dumb. Like I'd want to drink my coffee and like I could feel my brain like trying to make the connection to my hand and saying, okay, you know, reach out for this cup and don't make I could. I was turning stupid. And so I said, okay, no more. So that was it. I only took two. I think I took one. I think I took one and a half. I forgot, but it was two. I'm giving me some wiggle room. It wasn't three for sure. I took two and I started to get stupid. So I was like, nope, I'm not doing that anymore. Because I'd rather be in pain than be stupid. You know, and it's like, what a message for the last day's church. The things that we have to endure. You know, don't be stupid. We're called to be loving. We're called to be gracious. We're called to be merciful. All the attributes, the fruit of the Holy Spirit, it's beautiful. But you know what? The Holy Spirit never has a fruit of stupidity. Never. Don't be stupid in the last days. What does stupidity look like? You know, does a man have fire in his lap and expect not to get burned? You know, does this, you know, biblical truth, you know, comes to pass in people's lives. People play with fire. And they expect not to get burned. That's stupidity. You know, don't go to the crack and expect not, you know, to become a crackhead. You know, don't go to the strip clubs and expect your, you know, your wife is going to be okay with it. You know, don't beat on your wife and cheat on your wife and expect everything's going to be honky-dory with your wife. You know, for children, you know, your friends say, hey, yeah, I got this pot, you know. It's the best pot from Chiapas, Mexico. Stupidity says everything's okay. Go ahead and do it. That's stupidity. It's not the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Don't be stupid. Be gracious. Be loving. Be merciful. You know, be the hands and feet of the Lord. How beautiful are the feet of those that bring glad tidings, good news. But never in the Bible will you read about the fruit of the Spirit, including stupidity. You won't find that. That's what Satan desires. You will find wisdom in the Word of God. Wisdom as a fruit of the Spirit. That's what you will find. So let's look what happens here in verse 17. Then he brought the grain offering, took a handful of it, and burned it on the altar beside the burnt sacrifice of the, of the morning. He also killed the bull and the ram as sacrifices of peace offerings, which were for the people. And Aaron's sons presented to him the blood which he sprinkled all around on the altar and the fat from the bull and the ram, the fatty tail, what covers the entrails and the kidneys and the fatty lobe attached to the liver. And they put the fat on the breasts and he burned the fat on the altar. But the breast and the right thigh, Aaron waved as a wave offering before the Lord as Moses had commanded. You know what's interesting here? Verse 6 says, you know, it was the Lord's command. Verse 7, the Lord's command. Verse 10, the Lord's command. And verse 21, as Moses had commanded. You know, you see what's happening here? Does that mean that Moses becomes the Lord? Not at all. No way. But you see a picture of God in him. He's a vessel. Moses. Moses is a servant too. Don't forget that. That's what we read in Hebrews. Moses as a servant in the household of God. 
But here you see, like it says in verse 21, as Moses had commanded, you also see him as an authority. An authority. Don't forget the, the history of Moses. He left Egypt. He became a shepherd, you know, the, the, of the flock of Jethro. And now he's a shepherd of the Lord and an authority. And Hebrews refers to him as a servant. A hardcore message for pastors, elders, Bible teachers. A hardcore message. Don't desire authority. It's not something that you should desire. That's pride. Pride desires authority. You know what? I'll tell you a better way. Be obedient to Jesus Christ and be a servant to Jesus Christ. And you know what will happen? Some people might recognize you as an authority, praise be to the Lord, and some people will want you dead. You know what I say? Praise be to the Lord. In both cases, His word is being fulfilled. You see? It's the same today as what we see in Scripture. Remember Pharaoh? He wanted Moses dead. Look at all the prophets. Jeremiah. I tell you the truth. All these people, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, uh, uh, Titus, Timothy, you know, uh, Paul, Peter, Philip. uh, I was going to say Timothy again. I'm old. But Timothy, uh, uh, Amos, Joel, all these people, Nehemiah. I see them as authorities, biblical authorities. Not just in their age, today. I see them as biblical authorities. You know, and God used them. The Holy Spirit used them as vessels to pen these things on parchment. These truths of the Word of God on parchment. And it's captured in the canon of God's Holy Word. I recognize them as authorities of righteousness. But you hit the rewind button and you accompany them in their day and age. Everybody hated them. Everybody hated them. The priests, you know, they hated the minor prophets. They hated Joel. They hated Amos. They hated Daniel. All these people. Paul. He was, you know, when he wrote the letter to the church, have I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? Remember the end of the second Timothy, Paul's writing, you know, only Luke is with me. All these people left him. What about John? You know, John the Baptist, but you know, John the Apostle too. I recognize today, I recognize these people as authorities. But in their day, John the Baptist was beheaded. And it's very plausible that in our day, you might be beheaded as well. You might be hated. You might be beaten. This is a hardcore message for pastors. Don't desire to be an authority. You don't see that in the Word of God. Somebody desire. I mean, you do see, but not the godly people. The godly people don't desire to be an authority. It just happens. 
I shouldn't say it just happens like it's an act of fate. When I say it just happens, the Lord brings it about. When you're a pastor, when you teach God's word, that alone is plenty of salt. And then, you know, people will say, okay, you know what? I'm going to follow this guy. If the Lord didn't call me to be a pastor, there are like three other places that I would live across the globe specifically so that I could submit myself to a certain pastor and be under a certain pastor. Somebody to watch over my soul. Very few I can say that to. I just, you know, go through the phone book, you know, go on Google search. Where is there a pastor near my house? No, I listen to what they say. Does this align with the word of God? I examine their life. You know, is this guy a hypocrite? You know, do, do we go out for dinner and he's getting, you know, his third beer? Do we go out for whatever and he's, you know, checking out these ladies? You know, I don't want to submit myself to those fools. So there's like three guys, three men, beautiful, beautiful men. Where if the Lord didn't call me to be a pastor, I would live in these areas just so I could submit myself because I desire that. And so look what happens here in, in um, verse 22. Then Aaron lifted his hand toward the people, blessed them, and came down from offering the sin offering, the burnt offering, and the peace offering. You see, he's not a man pleaser anymore. You know, if you're a pastor or a Bible teacher, elder, and you're a man pleaser, you need to repent and cut it out. Be a man pleaser no more. But if you are a man pleaser, you know, Aaron was too. Aaron was too. Let's turn to Exodus chapter 32 really quick. Exodus 32, verse 1. In Exodus 32, verse 1, it says, Now, when the people saw that, this is when Moses was on the mountain. The people thought he was dead. The first time he was on the mountain, 40 days and 40 nights, the people thought he was dead. Like, what's happening to this guy? Where is he? You know, he should have been back here last week. He should have been back here after a couple days. But no, the Lord was, he was with the Lord, you know, 40 days and 40 nights. And he was with Joshua too. Joshua wasn't with the people. Joshua was, you know, up high on the mountain with Moses. Not exactly, you know, with Moses like in super duper close proximity, but he was close to the cloud. Joshua, Moses and Joshua. And so in verse one here of chapter 32 of Exodus, now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together. So there was unity they gathered together to Aaron and said to him, Come, make us gods that shall go before us. For as, as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And Aaron said to them, Break off the golden earrings which are in the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the earring, the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hands and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and made a molded calf. You see, this is Aaron 
as a man pleaser. He's giving the people exactly what they want. You see? He's giving the people what they want. And he's a man pleaser. Then they said, This is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So when Aaron saw it, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. Then they rose early on the next day, offered burnt offerings, and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. You see, wickedness in the camp. Wickedness. It's terrible. In, 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 in the same chapter, in 32, verse 21, when Moses came down, Moses, you know, he's now in the camp. He came down from the mountain. The Lord told him in verse 7, Go get down, for your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. You see, self-inflicted. Corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way. Out of the way. Who is Jesus Christ? The way, the truth, the life. And the Lord here is telling Moses, hey, they turned aside. Remember, this corruption is self-inflicted. And then when Moses goes to Aaron in verse 21, Moses said to Aaron, And what did, what did this people do to you that you have brought so great a sin upon them? The responsibility of leadership. You see? Look at the sin that you brought upon the church. Look at the sin that you brought upon Israel, the congregation. When we get into like the Kings and Chronicles and the Samuels, you know what we're going to see? We're going to see wicked priests and we're going to see wicked kings. And you know who we're going to see suffer? Them. But we're also going to see Israel. We're going to see Judah suffer. We're going to see Israel suffer. We're going to see a lot of suffering on account of leadership. What do you see in the church today? A lot of suffering on account of leadership. Hirelings, pastors who are hirelings, who do not want to teach, refuse to teach the truth of God's holy word because they don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. Blessed is the man who is, offend, who is not offended of me. That's what Jesus Christ says. Blessed is the man who is not offended because of me. The word of God is very offensive. Very, very, very offensive. And I say that as a believer. Because the Holy Spirit will confront the flesh. The Holy Spirit is killing the flesh inside of you. Inside of me. Killing. And depending on how hard you want to hold on to that carnal aspect, it will be painful. That's what truth does. It's not to say, hey, pastor, go ahead and beat your sheep. No, it's not like they're God's sheep, number one. You know, don't beat the sheep. You teach the truth of God's holy word. And sometimes truth hurts. A lot of times truth hurts. But don't shy away from it. You must teach truth. I mean, be selfish for your own soul, yeah. Because you're held to a stricter account. But unselfishly, for the sake of other people. Don't be stupid. 
Don't let God's flock suffer because of your stupidity. Oh, but I used to have 100 people in my church. Now I only have 20. Oh, but I used to have 5,000 people in my church. Now I only have 200. And? That's what I have to say. And? Your point is what? You must be obedient to the word of God. You must be obedient to the master. You know why? Because you're a slave. You're his slave, a bondservant. If the Lord called you. You say, no, I'm not a servant. Okay, maybe the Lord didn't call you. These are hardcore questions we have to ask of ourselves in the last days. As last days pastors, elders, and Bible teachers. And if you're hearing these words and you're like, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm just, you know, a guy. I'm just a gal. I'm just a kid. Well, praise be to the Lord. Timothy was just a kid too. Look what the Lord did in his life. Look what the Lord can do in your life. Oh, you don't know my past. Look, I've done this. I've done that. Well, join the club. The Lord can do anything. Look at Aaron. Look at Aaron, what we just read. He he fashioned the golden calf. He built the altar. He's like, oh, how dare Aaron. Yeah, how dare Aaron, dare Aaron. But you know what's so beautiful? The aftermath of repentance. Because now what's happening? Look at verse 22 of Leviticus 9. Going back to verse 22. Aaron lifted his hand toward the people blessed them and came down from offering the sin offering and burnt offering and peace offering. You see, now he's a vessel of the Lord. That's what's so beautiful about repentance. So beautiful about repentance and restoration. If you're a man pleaser, if you're a Bible teacher, pastor, elder, and you're a man pleaser, repent. Get your heart right with God so that, you know, you can help people. You can be effective in helping people be right with God. Otherwise, your church is a social club. I don't mean to be, you know, rude or disrespectful. But if you're, as a pastor, if you're not obedient to Jesus Christ and His Word, maybe you don't, Teach a lot from the Bible. You like to appeal to the senses, appeal to the masses, appeal to feelings. You don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And your church is huge. You're growing. You know what? Don't call it a church. Call it a social club. Call it whatever. But don't call it a church. We're in the last days. Straight up in the last days. If you're a Bible teacher, pastor, elder, you need to be right with God so that others can be right with God. God's flock, His sheep, His lambs, you feed them and you protect them. How is that accomplished? Truth. Truth of God's holy word. And the greatest gift, love. 
there are other fruits that the Lord uses. But the greatest gift, love. You see, people often associate love with, you know, oh, I want to make you feel good. That's not love. That's hate. You know, oh, I want to appeal to your senses. I want to appeal to your feelings. Hey, read the Bible. You know, the serpent of old, Satan, he did that to Eve. He tried to appeal to her feelings, her senses, and got her to fall. It's demonic, satanic. You know, be a messenger of God's truth in love, the greatest gift. And lovingly give the truth. It's kind of simple when you boil things down, you get rid of all the nuances of uh, carnality, the carnal nature, carnal desires, carnal passions. When you boil it all out and get rid of all that stuff, the truth of God's holy word and love. And it's an act of love to be a messenger of truth. It might cost you a lot. It might cost you the size of your fellowship. It might cost you friendships. It might cost you your life. But praise be to the Lord. These things must happen. They're birth pains. We're just passing by. We're citizens of heaven. And so look what happens here. In verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. You see? Put yourself in Moses' perspective for a, second, for, for, for a moment. Moses' perspective. On the mountain, the first time he was on the mountain. And he's receiving these things of the Lord. And you know, it, the Lord is showing it to him. You know, that's what we read in Hebrews. The Lord straight up showed him all these things. And, and, and not just Hebrews, but also Brother Stephen. Before he was stoned to death, he gave an account. Yeah, Moses, the Lord showed it all to Moses. So Moses, for 40 days and 40 nights, he disappears, vanishes into the clouds on the top of the mountain. And the Lord, he's having his intimacy with the Lord. And beautiful, beautiful Joshua is nearby, not with the camp. But put yourself in Moses' shoes. And the Lord is telling, you know, Moses about Aaron, about the tabernacle, the, the, the blueprints for the tabernacle, the, the instructions on how to weave the, the, the priestly garments. You know, and the priestly garments for Aaron as high priest and priestly garments for his sons. Giving him instructions on how to make it. 40 days and 40 nights. And then Moses comes down from the mountain and sees the golden calf. What in the world? You get a picture. You, you understand his righteous indignation. And not just his righteous, righteous indignation, but you also see like, the faith of Moses. Because when he sees the golden calf, Moses doesn't just, you know, throw his hands up in the air. Okay, that's it. I'm done. You know, Lord, you told me this on the mountain. I come down from the mountain and I see this. It doesn't match. So, you know, 
I'm not going to believe you anymore. No, you don't see that. And it pains me to say that because I don't, I don't want to utter those words. But you don't see the faithlessness of Moses. You see his faith. And you see the faith of the Lord, the faithfulness of the Lord. Because for such a time as this, look what's happening now. Fulfillment. What the Lord told Moses on the mountain, you're now seeing it fulfilled. I talk about Moses and, and, and the Lord having their intimacy in the cloud, but because we have the full counsel of the Word of God, you know what? By faith, you and me were also in the cloud. We studied it. What the Lord told them, we studied the blueprints. And here we are in Leviticus 9. You don't see a golden calf anymore. You don't see an Aaron. You don't see Aaron, you know, fashioning the gold of this golden calf. You don't see him fashion building an altar. You see him blessing the people. God's people. He's obedient to the Lord. He goes into the tabernacle of meeting with Moses and he comes out and he blesses the people. What a hardcore message for pastors, church leadership, worship leaders, deacons, bishops, deaconess. Because, you know, the deacons can be females too. Females can be deacons. Bible teachers. A hardcore message. Obedience can never be compelled. Never. As pastor, you can never compel another person to be obedient to the Lord. It's their choice. It's their personal walk. It's their personal decision to make. But then, you know what happens? As God shows Himself faithful, you'll see people. Wow, look at this guy. You know, maybe he can serve in whatever capacity. Look at this lady. Maybe she can serve in whatever capacity. Not because she's or he is a willing participant. Just, you know, a fresh body. Because you see the fruit of the Spirit in their lives. That's how ministry happens. Remember the disciples who became apostles in the book of Acts? And there was this need that arose in the church? To serve at tables. And they were the ones who said, we're not going to serve at tables. It's not a prideful thing. You know, how many people would say, oh, this need is in the church. Oh, so therefore, pastor, you got to do this. No, the Lord called me to teach, so I'm going to teach. You know, choose from among you, you know, seven men to serve at the tables. What if a pastor said that today? Hey, pastor, there's a need in the church. And that pastor says, you know what? I'm sorry. The Lord called me to be a teacher and teach God's word. So that's what I'm going to do. So choose from among you a couple guys. Not just any Joe Schmo. Choose from among you seven men who have a strong witness. Who love the Lord. They fear the Lord. They're, they have wisdom of the Lord. And they're full of the Holy Spirit. Choose two guys that are like that. For this particular task. Or choose some women to serve in this capacity or that capacity. See, if church were a social club, it would just be, you know, hey, there's this needs. It'd be like, you know, a grocery store. You know, hey, we're out of uh, ketchup. You know, you go in the back room, get the, open up the boxes and fill the shelves. 
It's not a grocery store. It's not like it's not business in accordance with the world. As pastor, as elder, you know, ministry leader, you can't demand, you can't compel somebody to obey. You yourself being obedient to the word of God. You yourself being obedient to how he called you. Maybe he called you to teach. Maybe he called you to sing. Maybe he called you to, you know, whatever. And then you're going to see, wow, there's this guy. There's this girl. There's this boy. There's this girl. There's this woman. And you pray. And all of a sudden, it's like, whoa. You know, you know who's orchestrating? The Lord, the Holy Spirit. You know who's not orchestrating? Man. Is that biblical? You betcha. Where was the orchestration of Moses? What have we seen since Exodus? Where have we seen any orchestration of Moses? We haven't. None. In obedience to the Lord, everything that he's done in Exodus and now in chapter 9, everything is in obedience to the Lord. Aaron, his sons, it's like, you see, the fulfillment, the elders' fulfillment. He can't, you know, you can't compel somebody to be obedient to Jesus Christ. It's their personal decision to make. It's part of their journey with the Lord. And as much as I say journey, that's kind of like, okay, you know, you, you just deal with it. You know, when they have works of the flesh, do you just deal with it? No, you give them more truth. Sometimes you might have to counsel them. Sometimes you might have to plead with another brother. Plead with another sister. Hey, brother, hey, sister. I love you. I don't want to hurt you. But you know what? You got to put down the crack. You got to put down the sex. You got to put this down. Don't do this stuff. It's not pleasing to the Lord. I want to see God's handiwork in your life. But when I read my Bible, the Lord, you know, He doesn't work in, you know, when this is happening. You know, when you have your Ouija boards and you go get your palm reading, you know, and you get you get all these things of the occult, you bring them in your home. That's not Christianity. You need to get rid of these things. And you need to repent. And as you repent, it's like the Holy Spirit cleans the temple. And then all of a sudden you start to see the fruit of the Spirit. It's complete and total denial of self. We see that in our Lord Himself. Complete and total denial of self. What did He tell our Father? Who art in heaven, hallowed be His name. What did He say to the Father? He said, Father, take this cup from me. Father, I don't want this. Take this cup from me. But yet, not my will, Thy will. I'll do it, Father. Because I'm going to be obedient to You. You see, Jesus Christ himself is a mold. The most beautiful mold there is. Does that mean we have Paul and Peter and James as a mold? Yes. But are they, like their bodies, the mold? No, it's Christ in them. It's always Jesus Christ. You know why? Because they're full of Christ. They're not full of self. They're not old wineskins. They're new wine, new wineskins contained with new wine. They're the mold. Is it them physically? No way. But it's Christ in them. 
You see these Old Testament examples we have of these new covenant truths? And it's beautiful to behold. And so he says here in verse 23, And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. You know, instead of a vessel of cursing, like Aaron was with the golden calf, Aaron is now a vessel of blessing upon the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. You see, God's glory. This is reference to the Shekinah glory. Now the word Shekinah, you're not going to find it in the Bible. The Hebrew word Shekinah, it means God's glory is present. But you're not going to find it in the Bible. So why do you say it, you might ask? Well, you know, it's like Trinity. You're not going to find the word Trinity in the council of the Word of God. Genesis to Revelation. You will not find the word Trinity. But you'll see the Trinity. You'll see the Father. You do see the Father. You do see the Son. You do see the Holy Spirit. You do see the Trinity. You, You have references to the Trinity without saying the Trinity. That's what the Shekinah glory is. And Shekinah means God's glory is present. And that's what this is here in verse 23. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. You see, it's it indicative. The word Shekinah, Shekinah glory. God's presence, God's glory. It appeared. Look at verse 24 in closing. And the Lord came out from before, and fire came out from before the Lord and consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, it was evident with their own eyes. When all the people saw it, they shouted. Translate says, they shouted for joy and rejoiced. That's how it translates in the Hebrew. And fell on their faces. You see, joy and adoration of the Lord and worship unto him. The Shekinah glory was seen. It was evident. And, you know, here in verse 9, at the very end of verse 9, it begs the question, how is this accomplished? How is it that God's glory is seen and present? How is it that the people have joy and adoration of the Lord and they're worshiping unto Him and they fall on their faces? How is this even possible, this holy mixture? Well, Blueprints. The Lord gave Moses the blueprints. In obedience, Moses, you know, gets together some guy, you know, specific guys. The Lord called them out specifically. Says, hey, you make this. You make this. Hey, you know, bring me your gold. Not just bring me your gold. It's for this purpose. For the tabernacle. You don't see Moses hoarding gold. If you're a pastor that likes to hoard offerings unto the Lord, not to you, unto the Lord, and you like to hoard offerings, you give yourself a little, you know, $50,000 $50, Christmas bonus. Wickedness. You don't see that in the counsel of God's holy word. So how was this accomplished? Remember, the Lord gave Moses the blueprints and, you know, Moses, in obedience, worked it out. 
faith and works working together, belief and obedience working together. You can't have works without faith. You can't have faith without works. The two are synonymous. One and the same. Faith and works. What do I mean by saying that? Apply God's word in your life. The word of God is not a book of suggestions. It's God's holy word. It's instruction in righteousness. Apply it in your life. You see the obedience of Moses. You see the obedience of Aaron after repentance. You see the obedience of Aaron's sons after repentance. Because remember, they, you know, all the elders, they went down. They, you know, it, it, when you see Moses go up into the mountain and he's with Joshua, the only two that didn't go back to the camp are Moses and Joshua. The elders, they went back to the camp. You see the obedience of Moses, the obedience of Aaron after repentance, his sons after repentance, the elders after repentance, and the people after repentance. You see? And now look, the Shekinah glory is present. What about the blueprints that the Lord gives you today in his full counsel of his word, knowing that the word became flesh? There is no other way. No other way, period. Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by Him. Praise be to the Lord. We're going to end our study here. God bless you guys. Love you guys.